Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tonight, Joe Biden is going to bed without supper. The Trump team asked the judge to pencil in a trial date for some time around never. And white nationalists are racist. See, Senator Tuberville, really not that hard to say. I'm John Berman, and this is CNN Tonight, or very nearly tomorrow, which is when we could learn what these two top prosecutors were doing at a federal courthouse in Washington, D.C., It is the courthouse where the grand jury has been hearing testimony in the special counsel's investigation into Donald Trump's actions surrounding January 6th. It has been a busy courthouse, which has heard from a long list of witnesses you can see right there on the screen, including Mike Pence and Rudy Giuliani. Now, seeing activity at the courthouse is not unusual. Seeing these two top lawyers from special counsel Jack Smith's team there is... And it has led to speculation that maybe they are inching closer to a charging decision. Tonight, you're going to get the insider's guide of what to look for, for how to figure out if new indictments are coming. Of course, there already have been indictments in the other half of the special counsel's world, the Mar-a-Lago documents case. And now Trump's team has told a federal judge when they think the trial should happen. Later, they say. Much later. And if they get their way, maybe never. Quote, there is simply no question that any trial of this action during the pendency of a presidential election will impact both the outcome of the election and, importantly, the ability of the defendants to get a fair trial. Pendency, by the way, for folks like me who've never seen the word, means it is coming. The election is coming. News you can use. Trump is asking to wait until after the election. So, too, is his aide or body man, as he's called sometimes, Walt Nada. They write, Mr. Nada's job requires him to accompany President Trump during most campaign trips around the country. Requires? He needs to be there? As we sometimes ask our kids when they say they need ice cream, is that a need or a want? The judge will decide. Now, finally, the lawyers argue, there is no ongoing threat to national security nor any concern regarding continued criminal activity. A federal judge will have to decide if that is true about a guy who, after all, is being charged for the way he handled secrets. Now, whether you agree with the filing or not, all of this is likely good lawyering. A trial delayed is a trial that could die, as in never happen if Trump wins. First, though, to the action we saw today and what it might mean for tomorrow. Joining us with his legal decoder ring, CNN senior legal analyst, Ellie Hoding. All right. All right. These two top, top lawyers from special counsel Jack Smith's team were spotted at the courthouse where the grand jury has been working. Our eagle-eyed journalists who were there, they say these two lawyers are not usually there. Why might the top people be there now? So it's a good catch by our reporters. And this all requires, by the way, a sort of blanket disclaimer. We're talking about grand jury. We don't know what's happening behind closed doors. But let me give you a couple reasons in my experience why we could be seeing these two senior lawyers. 
One, it could be that they've divided up the labor, that certain lawyers are handling certain witnesses. And typically, your more sensitive, more difficult witnesses would be handled by your more senior attorneys. The other possibility is when you get to the end of a presentation as a prosecutor and you're ready to ask the grand jury for an indictment, you have to present to them the draft indictment. You read them the charges and then you have to instruct them on the law. And it's really important that you get that just right. Because if you mess up, if you skip an element, that charge is going to get thrown out way down the line. So bosses may get involved at that point as it's well. It's normally the top people who are there to present the indictment. Right. You would be, especially in a high stakes case. And not Jack Smith. By the way, the special counsel no. is not the person who would be there. It would be the top lawyers in his office. And that's normal, too. You would never see, for example, the U.S. attorney, the boss of each office. They wouldn't go in on, on a big case, but you'd have a, a unit supervisor type person. All right, Ellie, we, we saw indictments, obviously, in the Mar-a-Lago documents case, and there were some signals before it came that it might happen. What are those signals? What should we look for that might point to a charging decision? So the first thing you want to ask is, does it look like they've talked to everyone relevant? And I think in this case, if we saw that list that you scrolled at the beginning, I mean, it's hard to think of someone they haven't spoken to, from from Mike Pence to Brad Raffensperger to Rudy Giuliani on down the line. But that's sort of necessary, but not necessarily sufficient. Um, One indicator is, remember before the Mar-a-Lago indictment about, I think it was three days before, we saw that there was this meeting where prosecutors will say to defense lawyers, last chance, you can come in, try to convince us. Trump's lawyers went in, I think, on a Monday, and the indictment happened on a Thursday. Now, we've not heard reporting that that has happened yet as to this January 6th case with respect to Donald Trump or anybody. You don't have to give that meeting as a prosecutor, but... Typically, you would in a case like this, and we know that they did the first time. You don't have to give the meeting. Typically, they would, but you don't always have to tell people about the meeting. And we don't know where that information came from, but last time we learned it happened, sometimes it's a secret. Yeah, last time we saw them walking, the Trump's lawyers walking into the building. But yeah, it could be they said, let's keep this under wraps. Let's do it on the phone. Let's do it by Zoom. Let's do it at some third person's office where, you know, Caitlin Polance isn't going to be camped out and see us walking in. And just to be clear, there are more people potentially who could be charged here than were charged in the documents case, where it was just Trump and Nada. There are other people. Maybe there is more to tie up. Maybe there are more meetings to take place. I mean, potentially dozens of people here could be in jeopardy legally, both in DOJ and in Fulton County. So we tend to focus very heavily on Donald Trump. But let's remember, there's a lot of other people who did essentially the same thing or some subset of what Donald Trump did. So yes, could be be anyone. If they charge, there could be more than one person charged. I want to ask you about another legal development that happened today that has a lot of importance about what happens going forward. This has to do with the second E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit, which has not gone to trial just yet. The U.S. Justice Department, the current Justice Department, has decided it's no longer going to assert that Donald Trump had immunity, a type of immunity for his actions in this case. I hope I described that the right way. Explain to me exactly what that means. So you got it. Uh, There are two E. Jean Carroll lawsuits. The one that already has been tried, which resulted in the verdict mostly for E. Jean Carroll, $5 million, that related to statements Donald Trump made after he left the presidency because we don't have these sort of complicated immunity issues. The one that's still pending and the one that you're talking about now relates to statements he made while he was president. And the question is, if 
DOJ determines that those statements were made in the course of the official duties of being president, then DOJ will represent you and they will get the case thrown out on basis of immunity. Donald Trump's DOJ under Bill Barr initially made the controversial decision. Yes, Donald Trump's comments about E. Jean Carroll were part of his job as president. And then the more surprising part is when Merrick Garland took in for the Biden administration, he agreed. He said, yes, that was part of her official job. But now DOJ has reversed that and said, Given some of the evidence that came out in the first trial and given some of Trump's subsequent statements, they actually have now reversed themselves and said, not in the course of his duties. We won't represent him and he's not going to be able to get rid of the case on immunity. And a Justice Department would, in theory, say that about a past president, say it is protected because of the office of the presidency, not necessarily as the specifics of what happened. Yeah, Merrick Garland wasn't trying. I don't there's no reason to think he was trying to do Donald Trump a favor there. DOJ was being, I think, protective. Maybe they've now admitted overprotective of the institution itself. Ellie Honig, great to see you. All Keep right. that Dakota ring safe. You're going to need it again soon. Always, always calling on it. All right. All right. I want to now move to this filing from the Trump legal team to delay the trial in the Mar-a-Lago case. I want to bring former Trump White House lawyer Jim Schultz into the discussion. Jim, great to see you. I, I said this is likely good lawyering to ask for a delay in this trial until after the election. Kind of like a slam dunk for any lawyer. Why is this something that any lawyer would push for? Look, any, they're going to ask for a delay, particularly in this case, because of all of the things that are coming up, right? There's an opportunity, you know, if this thing gets delayed, there's an opportunity for, let, let's say, Donald Trump becomes president, right? There's opportunity there for Donald Trump. Let's say he's then a candidate for office, gets through the primary, becomes a candidate for office. Another opportunity for delay there. If he becomes president, there's this whole issue of pardon. He's talked about self-pardons in the past. So, of course, they're going to try to delay, delay, delay here. Not only for that, but also, you know, just to just to continue this down the line. Because, remember, a trial may just, throughout this time frame, you know, may just tie him up for his campaign. So there's a political reason there as well. I mean, if you have a 50 percent chance of winning the presidency, even if just a 40 percent chance of winning the presidency, and if you win, you can pardon yourself. It seems like a good thing to go for, to delay the case until you might win the presidency, even if you only have that chance. To that end, Judge Eileen Cannon, the federal judge here, a a Trump appointee, this is a big decision for her. If she decides to delay the trial until after the election, there is a significant chance the trial never happens. How do you think she will approach this? So, look, I think to a certain extent she got a ton of criticism on one of her rulings in the, in the documents case earlier. And we all know about that. We all heard about that. You know, that's going to definitely be in the back of her mind as she's considering this piece of it. Now, there was, there was this issue of the campaign and the fact that Walt now needs to be with him on the campaign, the fact that there's an upcoming election, but there's also issues relating to the lawyers being involved in her own cases. I think those are ones that she's likely to grant. I don't think the long-term extension that they're asking for, but I, do, I I think she's going to be very careful and very hard pressed, you know, given the criticism she had the last time to extend this thing out beyond the election. I just don't see it happening. Um, If you were one of the other candidates running against Donald Trump in the Republican primary, which outcome would you want? Would you want this delayed until after the election or would you want the trial to happen? Look, bottom line, this is out of their control. This lies straight right at the feet of the judge in this case. Now, how it impacts them politically depends, right? If 
he comes out of this and, you know, he doesn't get convicted and he comes out much stronger, then they'll say, well, we might have wanted to wait. If, if, he, if, he, if he loses the case, well, then, you know, of course they're going to have a, if he, if he loses the case, then, you know, perhaps he's out of the race. Who knows? But, you know, I, I, I think it's a crapshoot one way or the other. I think they're largely, a lot of them, except for Governor Christie, are going to remain silent on the issue. And Walt Nada, by the way, does he really need to be on the campaign trail? I mean, is Walt Nada the type of guy you could replace if you had to? Well, look, I, I think that's the, look, they're going to make arguments that that's his way of making a living, and he needs to be on the campaign trail for his own benefit. But we'll see how the judge handles that as well. I think that that will all shake out, you know, as part of the law. Do, do they really want to extend this thing out beyond the election? Does the judge really want to extend this thing out beyond the election or not? And I think you're going to, like I said, I think they're mm. going to see, you know, the lawyers tied up on other cases are some of the little wins you might see. That's a huge win for the former president if they extend it out that far. All right, Jim Schultz, now we know what to look for. Thank you so much. Thank you. So President Biden did not attend the NATO head of state dinner, saying it was to prepare for a big speech tomorrow. Some people say this points to his, the limitations of his age. So what is the best way politically for President Biden to handle this, the age question. A, deny it. B, ignore it. C, joke about it. D, feats of strength, like going to the beach shirtless. Tonight, new data that shows your next president could be chosen by Oscar the Grouch. Who is kicking my can? So, not literally Oscar the Grouch, because puppets don't have the franchise, but people like Oscar, haters of a sort, political haters at least. I love trash. According to the latest CNN poll, more Americans viewed neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump favorably, more people viewed them unfavorably, than those who held favorable views of either man. In other words, I don't like them is beating I like either of them. I don't like them has a plurality. Political misanthropes are your power block. How comfortable are you with, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge being a plurality? Ah, humbug! Now, not literally Scrooge because he is British and dead, but people like Scrooge. Analysts call this group double haters. They matter a lot, not just because there are more of them, but they can be decisive. In 2016, double haters, people who didn't like either Trump or Hillary Clinton, and that was a favorite Donald Trump, and that was a big part of his win. Double haters. The French existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre famously said, (laughs) hell is other people. It's like Sartre is now the swing vote. Now, not Sartre literally, because he is French and dead, but voters who hate what they see. Now, for the record, according to the average of the last Quinnipiac polls, Biden is currently winning the Sartre double-hater vote. So what does that mean? Joining us now in the spirit of hatred is CNN senior data reporter Harry Enton and Mark McKinnon, a former advisor to George W. Bush and John McCain, and the executive producer of the circus. Gentlemen, thank you. And just to make you hate me, I want to put these questions in the form of multiple choice. Harriet, 
Yeah. What do these double haters, people who say they hate Biden and hate Trump, actually want? A, more options in the two major parties. B, a third party option. C, just to get something off their chest. In other words, they're just complainers. Or D, don't know or can't say. Uh, you know, I played this game last night, and I find this multiple choice thing to somewhat be difficult. I prefer essays, long essays, and like to filibuster a little bit. Look, I think a lot of them like to complain. I do think that's mm -hmm. part of it. But I will note that there's nobody else, right? If you look at all the other candidates that have any sort of name recognition, who have any real shot of winning any, either of the two major party nominations, they too are underwater. So they may want more choices, but who are those choices may be, right? Is it some special person up in the clouds, someone who could come down like in a hologram and be fantastic? That person doesn't exist. But I will say, if you look back through history and you look at elections in which early, in the early going, both candidates were underwater, there's a higher probability of, let's say, a third party candidate perhaps catching fire. And of course, by catching fire, I mean maybe getting 5% of the vote. What do they want, Mark McKinnon? Uh, I'd say D, all of the above, John, uh, all the things that you listed. But the, the biggest problem for both these candidates is that more than uh, 75 percent, I think the number is actually 86 percent of American voters think that both of these candidates are too old to be president. That's a big problem for both of them. And the irony is that in, in, a, in 2020, Joe Biden may have been the only Democrat that could beat Biden. But because of his age, just four years later, he may be the only Democrat that could lose to Trump. Uh, so it, it's, it's a real quandary for 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 both candidates, because Voters, uh, uh, you know, don't like the dog food. <laughs> they don't either. Neither one of them like the options and they're looking for a different choice. You know, we're going to get to the age thing in a second. But, Mark, how do if haters are your target audience, voters who hate everybody, you know, you've done campaigns before. How do you try to appeal to them or do you just try to make them hate the other guy more? Well, generally, it's it's a matter of, you know, trying to demonize the other guy, because the, the fact is. The problem for Biden is that age is not something he can really do anything about. A huge percentage of Americans have concerns about his mental or physical capabilities. And that's not, how do you improve that when you're when you're only getting older? There's nothing you can do about that to fix it. And you sure as hell can't be skipping out on dinners and, you know, taking the Luann platter at the five o'clock uh, <laughs> early, early dinner and skipping out. And that just reinforces what people's perceptions are of your problems. You've got to reinforce that you've got some vigor. If you're going to run at 80, then you sure as hell got to go to dinner. All right. Let, let me let me if, if we can do this in the control room, let me skip ahead because I actually I have something I want to bring up about Joe Biden and this dinner, uh, this NATO meeting. He skipped the head of state dinner. Now, to be fair, the White House says he's got a very big day tomorrow uh, and he wants to deal with the speech and get ready for that. So my multiple choice question to you, obviously, given that skipping the dinner brings up question about his age you know, what is the best way for Joe Biden to deal with questions about his age? Is it A, deny it, you know, B, ignore it, C, joke about it, or D, what I like to call, you know, feats of strength, like he mysteriously ended up on the beach in Rehoboth shirtless, and he looked, you know, pretty good for an 80-year-old guy. So what's the best way for him to deal with it, Mark? I think it's got to be D. I mean, you just, you have to show people that despite the fact that you're old, that you are mentally equipped, physically capable, that you can stay up late. I mean, listen, you're running the free world. It's the most important job in the universe. 
and uh, you, in order to do that, you've got to show that you're at least able to stay up late, for God's sake. Just to be clear. So, listen, you just, you've, got to, you've got to be Harrison Ford, right? You got to be show that you can still do it, and that eighty is the new sixty, or eighty is the new fifty. Yeah, he's not watching Madlock tonight. We are told he's getting ready for, oh, the, for the speech tomorrow uh, at NATO. And d- finally, Harry, I just want to end with this, which yeah. is, you know, obviously Senator Tommy Tuberville has gone on this bizarre, twisting odyssey since Caitlin Collins talked to him last night. Uh, he now does say that white nationalists are racist, but it took him a long time to get there. Just listen to this. Yeah. If if people think that a white nationalist is a racist. I agree with that. I agree they should A white nationalist is someone who believes that the white race is superior to other races. Well, that, that's some people's opinion. Uh, and I don't think, that's I mean, a lot. Uh, pardon? What's your opinion? My opinion of a white nationalist, if somebody wants to call him white nationalist, to me is an American. It's an American. Now, if that white nationalist is a racist, I'm totally against anything that they want to do. All right, Harry, and to that end, multiple choice here. White nationalism is A, racist, B, racist, C, racist, D, all of the above. D, all of the above. I can only hope that the senior senator from Alabama is stupid because the fact is the other alternative is very, very bad. Harriet and Mark McKinnon, great to see both of you. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. So an ex-Manson family member was released from prison today despite being part of a grisly, stabbing murder. You will hear her describe the stabbing and hear from her attorney next. It was one of the most notorious and gruesome crime waves in American history, and many look at it as the unofficial end of the peace and love 1960s. The Manson family's killing spree in August of 1969 at the direction of Charles Manson himself, a murderous rampage born of twisted inspiration, they claim, by the Beatles song Helter Skelter, which Manson claimed predicted a race war. Five people, including pregnant actress Sharon Tate, murdered at the home of her husband, movie director Roman Polanski. The next night, supermarket executive Lena LaBianca and his wife Rosemary were murdered in their Los Angeles home. 19-year-old Leslie Van Houten was convicted for her role in the killings of the LaBiancas. She has been behind bars for 53 years, denied release over and over again until now. Van Houten was released on parole from a California prison today, and her lawyer, Nancy Tatro, joins me now. Counselor, very nice to see you. This has been five decades in the making for your client. How, what is she doing tonight? Well, she is in, she was released to parole this morning, as everyone knows, and she's in a transitional, it's a transitional living facility, and she'll be there for a year, and she will be on parole for three years. Right now, I think she's just relaxing. The The location of the transitional living uh, facility is confidential, but she said that she's just trying to get used to the idea that she's no longer in prison after all these decades, and and just uh, just acclimate to her new life outside of prison. You know, what do you say to those people who look at the headlines from this that read something along the lines of, you know, Manson family killer, member of the Manson family, part of murder sprees, released. And some of those people are, are outraged. What do you say to them? Well, she was initially tried and convicted uh, along with Charles Manson and the others, both both nights of the murders were tried together. 
Um, she was convicted. She was sentenced to the death penalty. However, her conviction was reversed. Uh, the California Court of Appeal found ineffective assistance of counsel. So that judgment and conviction was reversed. She was tried a second time, and it was a hung jury. She was tried a third time, and this the, the subsequent trials were without Manson and the others, just her alone. And she received an indeterminate life sentence. And what that means is that she... Uh, according to due process, has a she has to have a reasonable chance at achieving parole, and it's not easy to get parole grants in California. It's taken her five decades, but I understand why people, certainly the victims or the family members of the victims, feel emotional about this and want retribution. But that's not the law. The law says she has the right to achieve parole if she meets the standard. And the standard is that she no longer poses a danger to, to society, to the public. And she, she met that standard by working for five, five decades. She was in therapy for 40 years. She took what's called rehabilitative programming courses in prison, which focus on insight. They focus on responsibility. They focus on remorse. And she has, she has achieved that to the satisfaction of the parole board. So therefore, because she meets the standard of parole, she's no longer dangerous. Due process requires that she be released on parole. Um, you mentioned her role in those two nights and what she was convicted of. It is something she has spoken about, frankly, uh, including on CNN some years ago. Let me play a little bit of that. I went and I called Tex and I um, said that we weren't able to kill her. And then Tex went in the bedroom and Patton went into the living room and I went and I stood in the hallway. And then Tex turned me around and he handed me a knife and he said, do something. And so I went in and Mrs. LaBianca was laying on the floor and I stabbed her. Where? In the lower back around 16 times. So how do you prove that you've changed from that person? That is, that is, that's a good question. We are not proving that she was innocent. She has to and has accepted full responsibility for the crime. And since then, she has, as I said, she's gone through courses to confront what she did, to take responsibility for what she did. She's had, in order to gain parole in California, not only do you have to go through this rehabilitative programming, you also have to go through psych evaluations, which are very rigorous. She's had 40 years of psych evaluation saying that she is not a danger to society. Also, what has to be factored into it is she was 19 years old when she was, she fell under the influence of Charles Manson. And law has subsequently, social science has subsequently learned that your brain does not mature until you're 26. So because of that, the immature brain operates under what we call the hallmark features of youth, such as impulsivity, inability to appreciate consequences, falling, falling under the influence of dominant peers, those sorts of things. So that has to be factored into it too. It also assumes that someone as young as her has a greater chance of rehabilitation. And she, through this coursework, through her many, many therapy sessions through her five. No, actually, she was she appeared before the board 21 times. 
before the board finally granted her parole in 2016. And she's had five subsequent grants of parole since then. So there is, as the California Court of Appeal found when it reversed or vacated the governor's fourth reversal, there is not a modicum of evidence in her record that shows that she today is a current risk of danger to society. There just isn't. Well, it is a true moment in history. We appreciate you being with us tonight, Counselor. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. FBI Director Christopher Wray probably has a case of the Sunday scaries tonight, even though it's only Tuesday, because in just a few hours, he testifies in front of a lot of Republicans who don't want him to have his job at all. Pre-action is tomorrow's hearing that hasn't happened yet. That's next. Welcome back to CNN Tonight, or CNN Very Nearly Tomorrow, as I like to call it. And FBI Director Christopher Wray might be wishing tomorrow never comes, or at a minimum, if it does come, they didn't get a sick note from his doctor. In a few hours, Ray has been invited to appear at an open hearing before the House Judiciary Committee, which might feel like being invited to crawl through a vat of broken glass. The committee, of course, is led by elected Republicans, many of whom don't seem to like Ray very much. Would you fire Christopher Ray? Uh, day one. No, I would not keep Chris Ray as director of the FBI. There'd be a new one on day one. I think that's very important. How dare Christopher Ray have the audacity to hide this information for his boss, Joe Biden? This is this is purely uh, protecting crimes. He's hiding crimes. The president of the United States committed when he was vice president. We all know that the FBI is plagued by political bias. You see it uh, almost daily. Every one of us ought to have confidence in the FBI solving crimes, not interfering in elections and interfering in in investigations. So who wouldn't want to spend some quality time with people who feel that way about you? It is worth noting that Ray was actually nominated by a Republican president, one whom many Republicans do seem to like, namely Donald J. Trump. More broadly, the FBI and Justice Department have become targets because Republicans say they have been politicized and, among other things, did not take the Hunter Biden investigation seriously enough. Though here, too, it is worth noting that the Republican-appointed U.S. attorney overseeing that case is refuting a couple claims that Republicans have been pushing. He says he did not ask to be named as a special counsel and was never refused authority to bring charges anywhere in the country. Those revelations unlikely to change the tenor of the hearing in a few hours, which is likely to include a fair amount of loud sounds. So there is a lot of noise, but what is the reality? What's behind all the shouting? That question to my friend, CNN senior justice correspondent Evan Perez. Well, John, the Republicans believe that the FBI has been politicized. They believe that the FBI is against conservatives. Of course, you know, for you and me who have been dealing with the FBI over the years, you know, certainly knowing a lot of people who work at the FBI, this is far from a left-wing commie organization that, you know, is being portrayed uh, by Republicans on Capitol Hill. But that's the reality of where we are right now, is that Republicans believe that uh, certainly in the last couple of years, 
the FBI has been uh, helping or prodding social media companies to, to, to censor the views of conservatives, for instance. And they've spent a lot of time investigating that. They believe uh, that uh, the FBI uh, has been uh, certainly biased against Donald Trump and against Republicans in general. Uh, that is far from the reality that, of course, the FBI responds to. And they say that, you know, obviously these investigations that they've been doing, especially of Donald Trump and certainly of January 6th, are not about conservatives, it's about people who break the law, right? And that's what they are, have been uh, going after. And as far as the, 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 the criticism of, uh, you know, the, their work with, conserv with, the, with, sorry, with the social media companies to try to get down some of the disinformation, they say it has nothing to do with conservative views. They say they were just simply telling so the, these social media companies, uh, here are some violations, potential violations of your own terms of service. So that's what they say uh, they are going to uh, go after the, F uh, the FBI director uh, during this testimony. So, and what can we expect, you know, based on your reporting, what can we expect from FBI director Ray tomorrow? Well, he's going to try to uh, focus on the work that the FBI is doing beyond the big headline investigations, of course, Donald Trump uh, and the things uh, related to January 6th. Uh, you know, the FBI does hundreds and thousands of investigations, a lot of it having to do with things like uh, trying to get fentanyl off the streets of, the, uh, of America, trying to uh, investigate uh, the efforts of the Chinese to try to steal American technology, things that matter to, they believe, the FBI believes, to everybody around the country, not having to do with the political side of things. And so you're going to hear a lot from Chris Ray uh, trying to focus the attention on all of the other work that the FBI does that has nothing to do with politics. They're going to come at him swinging fists and he's going to focus on the other stuff? That's exactly what he's trying to do. Um, so, Evan, I also want to ask you about David Weiss, who is the U.S. attorney who is in charge of the Hunter Biden investigation. Uh, as we said, and you reported on, he came out and said that certain things that were being said about him were simply not true. He is now the focus of a new attack from former President Donald Trump. What's being said here? Well, you know, David Weiss, uh, of course, is now uh, in the next couple of weeks is going to uh, sign officially this deal with Hunter Biden. And Republicans believe that it's a sweetheart deal that because he's going to plead guilty to misdemeanors. Uh, Donald Trump uh, on Truth Social, his uh, social media platform, said said this. He said Weiss is a coward, a smaller version of Bill Barr, who never had the courage to do what everyone knows should have been done. He gave out a traffic ticket instead of a death sentence. Uh, he goes on uh, again on his uh, platform saying the collusion and corruption is beyond description. Two tiers of justice, of course, refer referring to the fact that, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, the Justice Department has been a lot more harsh uh, in its investigations of Donald Trump than on Hunter Biden, at least according to Donald Trump. Here's the thing, uh, you know, the Republicans, are, I think, are going to spend a lot more time focusing on this investigation. But what they have so far come up with has been a lot less than they were expecting or what they were promising. Uh, David Weiss says that this has not been politicized, and he is a Trump appointee, after all. So we'll see, John, where this goes in the coming weeks, but you can expect that Republicans are going to bring David Weiss to, to testify on Capitol Hill to answer some more of these questions. Evan Perez, thank you for that, and thank you for the, the pre-action to the events that we'll see on Capitol Hill in just a few hours. Great to see you. You too. Thanks.
The Mega Millions drawing just happened, a multi-zillion dollar jackpot up for grabs. Now, there are serious reasons why you don't want to win. We have a lawyer to explain why. I have always wanted to say this. Tonight's Mega Million numbers are 10, 17, 33, 51, 64, and the Mega Ball number is 5. $500 million jackpot tonight. Now, we don't know if there is a winner yet, but I hope for your sake, none of you won. I'm being mostly sincere because did you know there's an entire legal oeuvre in dealing with the mess from winning the lottery? One website from a lottery dispute lawyer reads, quote, Winning the jackpot is a dream come true for the lucky ones. However, what should be a positive experience is often turned into a negative one when spouses or co-workers are involved. Serious disputes arise and threaten the winner's future. Who wants their future threatened? Joining me now is Kurt Panousis. He is a lottery attorney and CPA counselor. Great to see you. What's the biggest mistake people make when it comes to the lottery? Well, good evening and thank you for having me. Um, I would say the biggest mistake is really going forward with claiming a ticket without putting a plan in place. And I think by that type of planning, we're talking about anonymity. All these issues where you hear about people going through money or, or claims against them, it's all based on whether or not they claimed it anonymously. And so I go out of my way for the clients to make sure that we take the precautions to keep that circle as small as possible and to allow for anonymity, because I think that's really the key. Congratulations on winning the jackpot. Now you get to be no one. Um, That's a problem for people who who win in, in what happens after. There are some problems that take place, you know, prior to the actual drawing. I get most of my legal information from the hit show Friends now streaming on Max. Uh, here, here's a clip from that. All right, you know what? That's it. I want my share of the tickets. Yeah, I want my tickets, too. And I'm buying the Knicks. And Steffi Graf. <laughs> but I want mine, too. And if I win, I'm going to put it all into a very low-yield bond. <laughs> you guys, we got to keep all the tickets together. No, no, we should divide them up. And I should get extra because we use my car to buy them. So what problems come from these lottery pools or joining with your friends or, or even, you know, God forbid, your, your, your wife? Well, all, there's always issues whenever you have lottery pools. And I always tell people with pools, there's always a deep end. And with deep ends, there's danger. So you have to make sure that you make sure that you get all your, your documentation in place if you're going to have a pool. Again, I'm not a fan of pools. I think that there's always someone left out. That person will always be the person that says, hey, I should have been included, or I played seven times in a row and I got left out one time. Someone should have put the money in for me. So it ruins a lot of friendships. I don't like office pools. People still do them. But even with groups, small groups, you have to be careful. Um, Again, have a plan in place, have something in writing, But basically, even with a spouse, that's the only person someone should tell if they have a winning ticket is just that spouse and make a copy of the ticket and put it in a safe place. Do not sign the back of the ticket because it makes my job easier as an attorney to keep the anonymous uh, relationship there. 
a public service announcement. Kerpenus, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for helping us understand this phenomenon. You're welcome. So I promised I would read threads live on TV. So here we go. Chris W122, after making fun of me, writes, quote, what is your least favorite thing about working at CNN? Least favorite? Having to say goodbye. But alas, I must, at least for tonight. But I will be back tomorrow in all week. What could possibly go wrong? Thanks for watching. Our coverage continues. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.